And welcome mm -hmm. all to the uh, Insights World Tour. Um, we are now uh, spending a little bit of time uh, this evening for some of you and this morning for some of us in India. Um, let me remind you a little bit about what the Insights World Tour is. Remember, by design, this is meant to be a small, limited capacity online live event in which you as someone who's joining us gets a chance to actually interact through video rather than through the standard webinar uh, content. However, during this period of time, we'd ask while the presenter is speaking, if you can stay muted and off video. Once we finish that presentation, we'll absolutely have you join in um, and uh, join us in the discussion. So there's lots of reasons um, uh, to do this and uh, hopefully you'll see that there'll be a rich discussion thereafter. Uh, also a reminder that we still have a few more days of these events happening. So uh, take a look and see what's remaining. If something else is of interest to you, I certainly urge you to uh, sign up. There's still some spaces available for these smaller group sessions to join us uh, going forward. But without further ado, um, as is always, it's a pleasure, uh, quite an honor to introduce a friend and colleague, Professor Rajashekaran, who is the chairman of the Department of Orthopedic and Spine Surgery at the Ganga Hospital. He is known to most of you, if not all of you who are attending, and I thought it would be more than appropriate for him to speak about uh, really the broader questions that all of us strive to do. So I'm looking forward to learning about the five tips for professional excellence. Raja. Thank you. Thank you, Mohit. So let me share the screen and thank you for giving this opportunity. So as we discussed before, I would talk about one specific uh, aspect of uh, a challenge for professional excellence. That is how to strike a perfect uh, work-life balance. Now, as an ink surgeon, all of us are looking at professional excellence. And I think one of the biggest conflict or an obstacle that comes in our way frequently is the challenge of this work-life balance. Now, why should this be actually a challenge? If you look at the Google, there are 22 million hits on this. So it's obvious that it's a big problem for most of us. But I think the conflict is because the word balance. Because when you're talking of balance, it automatically gives in your mind a thought process that you're trying to balance between two opposite things. And that gives a feeling in the young people mind that work is different and life is different. And also, there are so many things like this on the WhatsApp, that when you're finishing your work on Friday and going home, this is the buoyancy that you feel in your mind. You feel so elated and you feel so good. And if it's a Monday morning and you're going to work, and this is what you feel like. You know, these are really nice to see. These are quite enjoyable. These are pretty humorous, but it just leaves in your mind a feeling that work is bad and uh, life is very good. But this is something that we can't have it if we have to survive. Now, if you ask anybody, anybody who has been successful, anybody who has had achieved something really hard, they have not done it without hard work. It may be tennis and Federer or cricket and Virat Kohli or Apple and Steve Jobs or even a brilliant surgeon who's really good. Let's take Mohit, for example. I mean, you can't do anything without hard work. But the thing why people feel very bad about hard work, even though you need it to achieve anything substantial is, 
frequently we get a big confusion between hard work and stress. I think it's very critical of all the young surgeons to know that these two are something so different like North Pole and South Pole. Because hard work has not killed anybody, but stress has killed a lot and a lot of people. Now, when does a profession become just work? That's also very important. When do you start feeling that you're not a professional, but you're just a worker? That becomes when you think you're doing this for a living and there is no passion in what you're doing. It also happens when you think that you're working for someone else. You may be a doctor if you're a pediatrician or the orthopedic surgeon and you are doing it for yourself, for the love of orthopedics. That's quite different from thinking, I am just working for this hospital or for this health service. You make that split in your mind and then your work is no longer very interesting. And when there is monotony and fatigue in your work, if you're just doing the same thing every day, every week, every month, every year, for years on together, and you have not done anything new for the last few years, then of course, then your profession becomes just work. Stress is something when there is poor performance in your work, when you are not doing up to what is expected out of you, when you are not prepared yourself, when you are continuously doing underperformance, then you get highly stressed. And then when there is an aspiration performance gap, you need to be clear about what is your goal and are you willing to put up that much work for you to achieve that goal? When you want to go this high, but you are only willing to work to be this high, and then there is a big problem. There is a big gap between your aspirations and performance, and then there is a lot of stress. You need to put passion into your work. And then when you are doing something where you are really interested, I just call vitamin P, that is for passion. And that has to be a little more important and that has to fill you up more than vitamin M, which is money. So when you're passionate about what you're doing, working 15 hours on something which you're passionate about will not be stressful. But even working just 15 minutes on something that you don't like will be stressful. So day in and day out, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, if what you're doing is stressful for you, then you need to be sure, you need to evaluate yourself, you need to introspect whether you are doing <clears throat> what you are really meant to be doing and what you're doing. So this is something that we have all seen and read many times, but it just needs to be reinforced in our mind. Love the job you do and you never have to work an other day in your life. This is so, so important. So you need to be ready to make sacrifices. You need to be ready to do a lot and lot of hard work. You need to burn a lot of midnight oil. I just asked one of the very famous surgeons uh, one day, what is the secret of your success? And he said in very simply, it just took me a little time for me to understand. He said, very rarely I have slept on the same day that I have got up. So it just took me a few seconds to understand what you're saying. That means he was always working beyond uh, the midnight. So all these kinds of work is necessary, but we also need to be sure that we are doing something. We are not getting out of our friends. We are not getting out of our friends. We are not people whom we love. 
we are not neglecting our health. And you know, they put this as the five important balls. Work is a rubber ball. You let it go for some time, it will bounce back. You can get it back. You can work harder after some time and get it back. But if you let down your spirit, if you let down your buoyancy of mind, if you let go of your friends, if something happens in your family or you devastate your health, these are all glass balls which you've broken once may not be with you again. So you need to do a good proper balancing act for this and you need to spend quality time. It's not the quantity. If you finish your work early, go home and sit in front of the TV and start watching cricket without talking to your wife, without playing to your son or daughter. That doesn't mean good. So this is one important person who is going to make a material difference in your life. I always say that work-life balance is actually work-wife balance. If you can share your dreams, if you can share your ambitions with your wife and you get her as a whole family and together you're thinking of what you're doing. Every day you can share your work, your ideas and your ambitions with them, your achievements and your disappointments with your wife and the family, then there is no struggle for work and life. But you know, you need to find a balance and you need to find your own orbit. Everybody is completely different. What is possible for one person may not be possible for another person. So you need to decide on what orbit you are going to play. Are you wanting to play in the national scene? Are you wanting to play in the international scene? And once you decide the orbit, then you must be willing to put that amount of work for that. You should not have a disappointment on that. Similarly, happiness is a very individual thing. If you are unhappy, don't blame it on your work because unhappy people I have found, I have had so many people working with me for so many years. I have found unhappy people are unhappy, happy people are happy, even in the best of the days when there is a lot of work. So if something is irking your mind, if it's something is worrying you, it's not allowing you to be happy, rather than just pinpointing at work, just get into the root of the problem of what you have to do. So just like work and life perceptions vary between all of us, work and life and how much you work, how much of stress you can take also varies between a lot of us. So this is one of my favorite cartoons. So he says, we only live once Snoopy, but Snoopy actually corrects him and says, it's wrong, we only die once, we live every day. So if we remember that, and we make each one of our days really very productive, really interesting, really passionate about what we are doing. We need to die only once. All the other days, rest of the days in your life, we can keep living together. So that's uh, a short, I just wanted to put this as uh, introduction to what we need to discuss about work-life balance, because there are very young, lots of young people who I know they're struggling with this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, let me, first of all, thank you for that. Um, gives us lots of places to go with this. And I wonder if you might introduce a few of your other panelists, um, Raja, yeah. and, and everyone, so please come on video. For those of you who are willing and comfortable, please join us on video and we'll have a nice discussion here. So I know I have uh, Jamal, uh, Dr. Jamal Ashraf over here from Lucknow. He doesn't need uh, much introduction because he is one person who's really working hard, who's full of life. And uh, so 
he has managed both in very big quantity and he has managed very well. He is also the secretary of the Asia Pacific Automatic Association. So it's nice that he found time to join us. And I also know that I have my own spine fellow, uh, Dr. Dilip Chandraja also with us. So, you know, he is working in a very busy unit and uh, working with a person like me, he always gets uh, loaded with lots of stuff and lots of work. And I know for sure that that is a struggle in him for work and life. So these are the two people. Now I recognize a lot of faces over here. Okay. So I'm very happy that if everybody can join. Yes, please. Yes. So again, for those of you who have uh, ability, join us on video. We'll, we'll continue on. But let me, if I could, Raja, just get uh, Jamal, uh, your take on what you just heard from Raja. Um, does, does this resonate with you? And, and, and what other caveats uh, do you bring to this um, story? And oh, we'll need you to unmute. Uh, yeah. Probably uh, the people who actually have work-life balance in their life, they're never looking for it. They don't even know that there something like this exists and they, they're just happy with how they're, and it's the dissatisfied people who are the 22, 22 million people that boss just mentioned who go on searching for what work-life balance is on Google. So it's your, your unhappiness with what you have that you start searching for something which you want to find out what you don't have. Well, let me ask this, if I can bring you into this as well, uh, uh, Dilip. So you are working with some icons uh, and you're working, I'm sure, very hard and you're seeing many people model various different things. When you're training, and I've been there not that long ago too, when you think about life, you think, you know what, I have to be good at scholarship. I have to be an excellent surgeon. I have to be working towards leadership. How do you balance yeah. all that? Or, or do you realize at some point, Dilip, that as a trainee, that you can't be all things? Um, and then what do you do at that point? So uh, one thing what I wanted to share is I always envy my uh, professor and mentor's achievements, what he has done so far. So trying to keep in pace, uh, it's not possible. I don't think it's possible for me. But uh, whatever given, uh, I would like to achieve some things for which I have set some short time goals. What I'm finding it difficult is balance between uh, physical hard work and uh, the academic work. So by the time uh, in a busy unit like what I work with professor uh, is complete, uh, what I'm find, finding it difficult is to get out of the physical uh, tiredness and get into the academic work. So no, now if I want to stay back in the hospital and work for it, now I'm missing family time. So sometimes I find it uh, a guilty of having not spent much time with my three-year-old son, which I feel at this point of my career or his age, uh, that is, I feel he deserves that period of time. But at the same time, I'm also finding it uh, very uh, guilty for the fact that I have not committed uh, my, enough time to my work. So that, that's a hard part for me. So, so, so let me then ask Raja, and please, anybody else who has uh, some comments to share, please join us. But Raja, when you have a, a trainee, how do you um, help them find balance? Because so much of it is, is that if they don't see balance in their mentors, it's hard for us then to you know, demonstrate. We have to almost have to walk the walk. So how is it that you help these trainees or how can we help them? Okay, so Mohit, I think uh, this balance is not walking on a tightrope where you have to stay just on the move. Yeah. 
I think this is the most important thing. If there is one message I would like to give, two messages. One is differentiate between work and stress. And second is balance is not just like that thin strip. In life, you have to be continuously unbalanced, off balance by your own decision and planning. But you don't go too much off balance, but you come. So if you are a young surgeon and you are just recently married, you need to be slightly off balance towards life. You need to be spending more time with your wife, have some dinners, go for some holidays. And then if you're getting your exams and your residency is coming to an end, you need to get off balance towards your profession, studies, exams and everything. Your wife is pregnant, she's getting delivered or you are becoming a father and again off balance a little bit towards uh, home. So it is, it's very important that young surgeons must uh, realize that it is not always 50% life and 50% work. You need to be 20% this side, 20% that side, but you know, there is a balance line, but you continuously keep moving this side and that side. Second thing is you need to have good mentors when you're young, uh, who will uh, guide you properly around this. And for a young surgeon, I also think it's so vital uh, whom they are surrounded with. You know, if you are having a group of people who from morning to night who are cribbing about work, who are cribbing about uh, doing this, that, your mentality is switched off to another bandwidth where you start seeing everything in a negative way. If you are surrounded with people who are very positive, who are achieving things, who are achieving, who are becoming successful and who are looking at uh, things in a very positive way, then your bandwidth completely gets altered to that. So I like your quotation once. I mean, you are the sum average of the five persons with whom you are always with. So you need to be really careful who are that five persons who are with you. So, you know, have good mentorship, uh, spend quality time, not quantity time at home and have good, uh, surround yourself with positive people who are all working hard and then it doesn't look like hard work. Well, I mean, all very sage points of advice. Anyone have a comment on what you've heard or anyone experiencing, you know, some challenges when you, you know, cause we always say you should do these things. And I think it's really makes a lot of sense that you can't be doing everything every day. Um, and there are going to be periods in your life where you'll be prioritizing different aspects. Sometimes we're not felt to believe we can do that, but I wonder if anyone else has had experiences that you wanted to share. Um, and, oh yes, please. Got to decide. So I think as Raja said, the bigger the orbit you travel, I think the bigger the challenge is, especially with time to manage all the, all, the, all the glass balls that he has said. And I think at some stage, I think it's always a reflective afterthought, but some stage you always lose out on something. So it's impossible to balance, I think, um, um, all, the, all, all of these very well as higher the orbit you travel. And this is, I'm saying, from a decade of experience of... Uh, Working with AO. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and, and so at that stage, you have to prioritize. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you need to say no. Uh, and let, things, yeah. and let me ask you this. Can you, can you do the following? Can you be an exceptional leader, an exceptional academic, 
an exceptional clinician and still be able to say that I have enough personal time with my family and my friends to grow personally. You know, we always have these kind of rules. Saying, well, you, can't, you can't do it all, right? So, so then at what point, how do you help mentor people? For those of you who have done it, or if you're someone early on in your career, thinking about, well, I keep feeling like I should be the best at everything, but I realize that's not feasible. How do we make that internal decision then to focus? And how do we decide on, you know, what we're going to spend our time and energy on? So you're asking me, Mohit? Yeah, sure. And anyone, anyone else who feels they want to contribute, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Mohit, uh, I'm not sure whether I'm an exceptional clinician or a doctor or a surgeon and uh, administrator, but, you know, uh, I have no qualms of the time that I have spent with my family and the type of family life uh, I have had. I think there's only one critical difference in that. Your family members including your children, it's not just your wife, but your children too, as they grow up, they need to understand what you're doing, why you are doing, and uh, they need to be resonating very well with your profession. It's very important. I get very aghast when I see some of my friends in front of their children, they will say, oh, this medical life is a dog's life. You know, I'm working too hard. We are working too hard. It's not worth it. And I, I, have, I feel very sad because I learned the beauty of having how to be a good, how to sacrifice or how to do hard work and still enjoy life from my father. And never one day, when, even when he was working harder than me, he has never one day complained of hard work at home. So we always thought it's nice. You have to be purposeful in what you're doing. And what is important is it's not like you go early and come very late and don't talk about it. You need to even talk to your children about what you're doing. So suppose you did a very hard surgery. And when my children were in school or college, we always used to discuss about this. And uh, that makes them very interested and they think that you should be doing that. Actually, in one, after one of these big discussions, one day when my daughter was in, I think, first year of college or something, I asked her, would you have felt better if I am coming home at evening six o'clock? So the first question she asked was, for what purpose? I'm doing my studies from six o'clock to 8.30, half past eight. So why would you want to come home at six? Well, if you want to come, come. But from 8.30 to nine, we are always having dinner together and we are sharing a lot of things. So why do you need to come home at six? And I know you're doing some useful work, curing somebody. If we were sitting in a club and drinking, then maybe I would have thought you should have come at six o'clock. But I know you're doing a purposeful life. So you need to give the perception, make your family understand the importance of what you're doing. I think it's very, very critically important. That makes the difference between that's a very good point. I wonder if I could also engage some of our, maybe some, some uh, individuals who are earlier on in their careers or mid-career, thinking about some of these challenges. I, I see you, Yad. I see Anna here as well. I know you had chatted a bit about um, what it means, but you know, if you don't feel pressure to comment, but if any of this resonates, we'd love to hear from you on your perspectives as well um, as you start thinking about it, because here we are talking from the other side, trying to help. But if there are challenges you have, we'd love to hear them. Maybe Yad, I see you've unmuted. Maybe you might have something you want to say. Thanks. Um, I, it's a great talk so far. So thank you very much. Um, one thing I just wanted to hone in on was our definition of exceptional, right? So yes. I think we 
individually have to really dig deep as to what that definition is and what is it what does it mean to be exceptional and then the other thing is also knowing that the exceptional moments may come at different parts of our lives so i may be an exceptional clinician right now and in 10 years from now i'll be an exceptional researcher if that means that I can prioritize all of the different, um, you know, glass and plastic balls or rubber balls in my life and, and make sure everything fits really well. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think that you are echoing exactly what sort of that, that lecture point was that we can't always be all things all the time, but that's uh, helpful. Thank you. Uh, Jamal. Yeah. I mean, uh, I am assuming that majority of the audience is surgeons or clinicians, right? So, First and foremost, what I can tell you, the youngsters is, if you're looking for work-life balance, look up to a mentor of your profession. Don't go look, looking on the internet and trying to read about work-life balance because the stuff that is written on there is just not implementable in your profession. If you go on to the, the, the psychology theories of work-life balance, they will tell you, don't work at more than three hours at a stretch. They will tell you, you have to have short breaks. They will tell you that there is a difference between success and aspirations because it's a psychology that they're trying to work at. As a surgeon, as someone wants to train with Dr. Rajesh Ekran, he cannot work for three hours and say that's the end of the day today. So find people of your profession who can guide you. Don't go on the internet and read psychology articles because they're absolutely different what they're saying. I think, yeah. And to the point that uh, Yad made was, you know, it's so, so important for any youngster to define what he or she envisages as being successful. Success is very different for every individual. And always remember, even a person like Michael Jordan, the moment he tried to go into a different profession than basketball, he was not successful. So you cannot be successful at everything. I mean, Dr. Rajshagan is a fabulous surgeon and a fabulous uh, orator, but I'm sure if one of the conferences he starts singing, then I don't know what's going to happen. So everyone cannot do everything. I know what will happen. Everybody will. <laughs> but so let, let, me, let me advance a couple of more um, uh, questions here. I know um, we could go on for hours, I'm sure, but I will be respectful of people's time and maybe the next five, 10 minutes we'll kind of uh, we'll close this out. But um, have, have any of you as like I'm, I'm speaking to those now who are more advanced in your career. We call these you know, more of the senior um, consultants, surgeons who have been mentoring. Have you, uh, and I suspect you have, examples of where you have learned? Like, you know, we always assume that, 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 that the knowledge transfer goes from the mentor to the mentee, but what have your mentees taught you? And how can you, if you're early in your career, help some of your mentors also, you know, find more meaning in the work they're doing. And I, I speak to both sides because I think we often think of it's a one-way um, channel of information, but I've learned many, many things from students about my own life and about how to balance my life better. Anybody? <clears throat> I think the priorities are different from the newer generations. I think you need to also learn from them, um, you know, what we thought is, is dedication may, may be, mean different for them. Yeah. So I think there's some things to learn from the younger generation too. Absolutely. Um, any other? Probably nowadays the youngsters tend to value the input output ratio 
as being more of an importance than we did. I mean, if for everything that they want to put in, they want to have an output to it. Our assessment of an output was a little vague. As long as we were working hard, it was fine. You know, we just to say like the cost basis analysis was not done by us. Right, right. So in some argument, you could say that they might look at us as saying, you're working for the sake of working, but I don't see where this is taking you. Or I don't see, um, I must say there is a different visualization, visualization. And I'll speak to my, to, to my 12 year old. My 12 year old will not do anything that does not have a very discreet deliverable directly for her personal benefit at this point, right? Which is, does this, how will this help me be a, you know, be happier, right? Um, and we often would say, I oh, just, you know, work. You, you work hard and then happiness will come. But she says, no, I, I'm happy. I want to be happy and I want to make sure my life, however we define that, um, so, you know, oh, allows it to oh, work. Oh, I have an answer for you. Mm. Uh, answer for this. So your 12-year-old will look at uh, what is in it for me if she has to do something, what you are telling her to do, but what is not passionate to her. Yes. Suppose she's interested in music and playing guitar. Right. I mean, she would play that without your prompt or whatever she wants to do. She will do it for hours together. No problem at all. So that is exactly what I mentioned in one of the slides. Your profession becomes work when you start at every point of time thinking, what is in it for me? For what I do this hour, this day, this week. You know, you only need to look at on the large scale basis of it. Sometimes for weeks together, some research you do doesn't look uh, anything that is going to transform. But if you start thinking, oh, I worked from this Sunday to Monday, but nothing happened. I mean, that is going to be, you only have to put long-term uh, goals. You need to know which are the long-term harvest, short-term harvest, and you need to have a clarity of that in your mind. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if I take anything away from what we've said, yes, and I'll get you one second. I'm going to get you one second here. Is that, that aligning people with their passions? I know in some ways it should be all of our jobs, right? And you should be looking in the mirror and saying, you know, what am I, what am I driving? I keep being told I should do research, but I keep wanting to focus on clinical aspect of my patients. Well, maybe that's a message to you internally that you know, your own internal drivers are telling you. And our job, I guess, should all of us around us should be help people find those passions and then help them accelerate you know, uh, in their career paths along those lines. The, the leap, you had something you wanted to say. So um, I just want to say that uh, in just in front of our lift at Ganga Hospital, there is a quote that there is no lift to success. There are stairs and the stairs are hard work. I do certainly agree with the fact that hard work is the key for everything. Uh, but I just wanted to know from both of you uh, that especially from professor, because he told that having a high aspiration and a low performance is risky. Now, what is the level of aspiration to keep for oneself? When, especially when you have a person, great person like professor around you, what is the limit for that? So I think your goalpost must not be uh, set very early in life because then you're also running the risk of keeping uh, the goalpost not where, how high you can go to. I have been asked many times, uh, when you finish your post-graduation or when you left England to come back to India, did you ever imagine that you would create Ganga Hospital and will you be able to do a research and all that? If I say yes, uh, I dreamt of it, it's a lie. 
because you need to only keep your goalpost for the next three years. Because if you're going in a long, windy road, you don't look at uh, the far destination. You only take the curves as it comes. So for a person like you, if you're in your sixth year of training or seventh year of training, you need to have a really, you need to be the best person in that year of training. And you need to keep your goalpost only up to the next three years. By the time many doors will open, because you can't imagine what will be your opportunities in 2025 now. So you need to set a short-term goal and then at every single time you see what are all the opportunities uh, available for you. And that will allow you to shift your goalpost higher and higher and higher. If you just imagine, if I had just imagined that I should be as good as my teacher, as my mentor and not more, then that would have been uh, restricting. If you think I should be Professor Rajshagran when I am uh, 58 or 60, then you are restricting yourself. So because when you are 58 or 60, the chances and the opportunities that you will have is with your exposure and with your opportunities must be something six times or 10 times more than what we have achieved. So don't restrict yourself with, you must have a long-term goal, but you know, it's the short-term goals and you're constantly moving that goal is what is going to make you achieve more. I, I think I would add only one minor thing in my, and I'll reflect back to my own life is that if you over plan, um, you become so restricted. It's like, you know, a horse with blinders on, all you're seeing is ahead. And all these doors that are opening for you along the way, you, you don't see them. And if you don't see the open doors or have the openness to say, oh, that's an opportunity. I didn't think about this, but I'm going to approach it. You won't have that opportunity to grow. So growth really does come in many ways from being open to new ideas and open to new things. If you're so narrow that I must do this, I think you sometimes miss that. And I think if I look back on my life, there are times where I was so focused on something that I lost sight of everything else around me. And when I gave back the idea of, oh, you know what? If this door closes, maybe three more will open, but I'm gonna be open to whatever happens and stay committed to what I like to do. If you do that, I think that is a, a pretty good pathway. And that doesn't mean that you have to plan decades in advance. I think, you know, we always get told, what's your five-year plan? And I always say, I have no idea what my five-year plan is, but I can tell you what I'll do today and tomorrow. You know, and you sort of work your way around that. But that's a very, very um, important message that I've learned anyway. Um, we're nearing the end here. I just want to make sure, does anyone have a comment or a question you want to make sure you get a chance to ask some of the panelists or share with us? Can I make a comment, Mohit? Yes, please. Uh, yes. Yes. Lalit from Delhi. Yes. Uh, thanks for getting this. Uh, it's an excellent topic to talk on. Uh, I've been uh, working on one philosophy which uh, is on raising and dropping the bar. So at times it becomes uh, pretty taxing to jump the bar. So according to what you are in your work-life balance, you can keep getting it down and then again raising it back. And the other thing I keep my uh, mentees, I keep asking them is that please tell me what is your weakness and what is your strength? Because those are the two tools that you need to really uh, sharpen, both the weakness and the strength. The strength is the one which you need to use very smartly. And the weakness is the one you need to know. And that is the one which you actually uh, develop and keep sort of working on your bar. So let me ask you one follow-up, Lalat, and I'll ask it, uh, other, others this as well. When you ask a trainee, 
what their weakness and their strengths are, how often do you believe they have true insight? Because sometimes we lie to ourselves about what we think our strengths are and what, when we're afraid to really acknowledge our true weaknesses. How can we help sometimes? And I find sometimes people are a bit disconnected from that because they haven't ever had real input as to their strengths yes, and weaknesses. That's an excellent observation. I think nine out of the 10 times, uh, the mentee doesn't come out with the answer on the first attempt. And I know that. Since I know that, I tell them, this is your homework. Go back home, watch a movie, watch a match, and think about it. What is your weakness and what is your strength? And come back. And uh, to my surprise, uh, the three mentees which have joined with me just now, one came back with the uh, thought that my strength is playing the guitar. The other one came back that I would be uh, very good at painting. And third one said that uh, I am uh, an expert in gaming. So uh, to my surprise, their research work has been attached to music, painting, and gaming. Which are all very creative uh, pursuits, yeah. which in many ways allows them to be successful in other things they do because it helps you think differently. So so, so you need to give them time to sort of think, go back, and maybe one trainee will come back in one time and one might not come. He might take six months to come out, come out with the answer. Oh, superb. Listen, I can't thank you all enough for spending some time with us today. Um, I would uh, like to thank you all on behalf of Ortho Evidence and thank all the panelists. Thank you all, because fun fundamentally, all of you who have contributed are panelists today. I might leave the last word to, of course, our esteemed guest speaker, Professor Roger Shagan. I'll leave you with the last word. Uh, thank you, Mohit. Uh, this was a very nice uh, session. Uh, I just uh, would like to tell, uh, we once asked, uh, one of the elderly persons uh, about what is his uh, opinion about work-life balance. And uh, he said, um, so long as you think work is different, life is different, then I'm not even interested in talking about it. Let me talk to you only if you think that work and life are the same. And he said, only people who have thought, who have been able to assimilate work and life together and not keep both of them separate. They are the persons who have achieved quite a lot. So if you want to be an achiever in life, you need to somehow resolve the conflict of work and life as two different entities in your mind. And when I say you, it don't, not only means you as an individual, but you as a family. So maybe you need to discuss with the family and also try to make some sacrifices here and there uh, in different aspects, but then come to a good consolidated ambition and goals, and then that would not be a problem. So I don't think work and life should be two different things where you have to balance. We should aim for a work-life assimilation. On that note, thank you all for a wonderful session and we look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the near future. And we'll have this video and we'll have this uh, distributed uh, widely once we have everything organized. Thank you again, everyone. Have a wonderful evening and a wonderful rest of your day.